0: Well, good evening. Welcome to Point of View Uncensored, where our views are based off facts and not feelings. I'm Dr. Renaissance. I'm Dr. Jake. And today we have two guests with us today. One standing with me is Mr. Brandon. I'm sorry, Coach Brandon. Yes. Um, a uh, boxing extraordinaire. Um, <laughs> Appreciate <laughs> As well as an um, inspirational uh, figure as well. He's training for boxing and he's a very great trainer. And I also have um, one of my former professors, uh uh, from when I was attending Clark University on the line, his name is Dr. Christopher Bass. He's a psychologist as well as psychology professor. Um, he's taught uh, many classes, and I'm sure he'll go deep into it, but one of my favorite classes he discussed uh, that we discussed was human sexuality, which is something we are going to cover. So I'll let you both introduce yourselves and then we'll go into <coughs> of
1: our topic. Okay. Um, so uh, just as uh, Dr. Renaissance shared, my name is Coach Brandon. Um, I go by the Motivational Boxer on Instagram, and uh, I, I guess that sheds a little bit of light into what I do. It's kind of direct. Um, I, I like to inspire um, individuals, no matter what their goal is, through boxing, if, if, that's, if that's their proxy. I feel um, like my goal is to always empower and start uh, as, a, as a mental process of, of growth before it is a physical one. Uh, I do believe that there is lots of power and ambition and having that drive, but my question is always, you know, what's going to um, get you to that second class and uh, what are some barriers that are holding you back from from being the best version of yourself, whether it's taking the risk of, of exercising or taking the risk of, of doing what it is you know defines you. So um, I, I'm, I'm excited to be here and I, I'm glad to uh, have been invited for sure.
2: I am Dr. Christopher Bass. I'm excited to be here as well. I'm originally from Washington, D.C., which sort of helped me to create my own sense of, you know, therapeutic uh, focus uh, from D.C. to uh, Atlanta and then from Atlanta to the University of Wisconsin. And I'll leave all of the rest of those accolades and and educational trainings over there. But um, I am a psychologist, have been practicing for about 25 years. Uh, love what I do, excited to help people to really understand their true and authentic selves. Um, My work has genuinely centered around not just teaching about sexuality, but also helping people who have been sexually traumatized or uh, who have been exposed too early to sexual trauma, get past what they experience and start to live, you know, again, their truly authentic lives themselves. So again, I'm excited about what's about to transpire here. You know, all of these doctors on the panel here, I'm just excited to be one of the four. And uh, I'm, I'm just excited. So let's let's see what we have in store, Dr. Renaissance.
0: <laughs> Great. Well, thank you for, um, for coming on with uh, with us today. Um, so one of the main topics we are planning to discuss on this show is um, today is mental health in the black and brown community, um, and I know having psychology, two psychologists on the show and having also a, a boxing coach um, can definitely tie into a lot of things that we want to discuss. Um, and I know I want to piggyback off, um, I think one, it was one Instagram call, I think, Dr. Bass, you were on with, um, what's the R&B uh, guest name from 112? I forgot his name. Parker. Yeah, Q Parker. Like, um, And I believe, I think he's one of your clients as well, correct? No, he's not a client.
2: He's just a peer. He's just a friend. okay.
0: <laughs> well, I know you you know you did a you did a um show him on Instagram about um I guess about mental health. And I think one thing that stuck out to me was saying, uh like saying I love you. Um, and I thought that was kind of really deep. Y'all kinda really, really kinda dug deep into that uh I love you uh quote. So I wanna see if you if you can kind of kinda go into that. What was that whole idea about that you crafted that
2: and I'll let everybody else um expound on that. I'm glad that you you remembered that one. That was a really good episode. And what uh, Q really tried to accomplish in that one was he tried to break some of the barriers. Men in our society have historically been told not to emote. So the idea of emoting and saying how you feel about someone else in many cases creates a vulnerability that most men don't, in this particular society, don't really gravitate towards. So to stop everything that you're doing and and say, I love you, man. And that was the topic of the session. I love you, man. The goal was to reach out to as many, you know, men as you had in your phone and just send them a message saying, I love you, man. You know, allowing people to really know truly how we feel about each other. So that was very, very powerful. So many men were transformed and so many men, you know, received the text And then subsequently jumped online and said, well, what, what's going on? Are you okay? I mean, are you dying? It's like, no, I I don't have to die for me to tell you that I love you. You know, it's just a normal feeling that I have for you. So that was, that was really empowering. Uh, It challenged a lot of uh, preconceived notions about masculinity. And I was happy to be a part of that program. So why do you
0: think that um, men particularly have a hard time saying I love you um, in general, um, definitely to other other men, other males? Why do you think, like, where does that stem from?
2: Great question. You know, in our society, you know, men get their stripes from being quote unquote masculine. And when we talk about masculinity and femininity, we have to understand that these are cultural constructs or social constructs that change every so often. But one thing that's been consistent is the need to, promote this sense of bravado in this society that we can accomplish certain things we are trained to provide and protect. We're not trained to show love in the ways that you know, are vulnerable. To be right. vulnerable in our society means that I open myself or I avail myself to someone else seeing me not as the quote unquote strong warrior, right? So we have several different categories as we look at men and how men are sort of portrayed in this society. So we can talk about white men, we can talk about black men, Hispanic men, you know, Asian men and so forth. There's stereotypes that are associated with each group. But if we just throw away all of the the racial overtones that typically accompany some of those gender stereotype roles and we just get to the bare bones of it all, Men typically are trained to, again, provide. Men are typically trained in this society to not show any emotion other than anger. So I always talk to my clients who find themselves, uh, you know, told, find themselves saying to me, you know, Dr. Bass, I'm not an emotional person. My girlfriend or my wife is very emotional, but I'm not emotional. And I'm saying, yes, you are emotional. Matter of fact, Mm -hmm. men, are the first to fall in love with their partners. You know, that's Mm -hmm. one of those uh, fun facts. Who falls in love first is typically the man. But when it comes to, again, being vulnerable enough to say, I love you, even though they feel it first, to say that I love you puts many men on a position where, okay, she may take advantage of me, she may not respect me. And so many men wanna be respected more than they wanna be liked. Like is associated with love. Okay. Like is associated with love, but like is not associated. I'm sorry. Love is not associated with respect.
1: Um, uh, I, I see a lot of what you said reflected in, um, what I feel like is working for me, uh, with the boxing classes. I've been doing this for, I've been instructing these classes for about a month and a half now, but I've been boxing for eight, nine years. And, um, you know, one thing I guess throughout life I've, I've learned is just the, the value of vulnerability and also uh, that it is a scary thing and it is at times a risky thing. But when it comes to training, um, especially those who are are trying this new venture in their life or they, they have some goal that they're like, I'm just so tired of being where I am. I'm just so tired of, you know, being this or that. Um, I, I, I see boxing as as mental first. And, and physical seconds so um, I, I do see that people are loving the class and 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 benefiting from the class because of that vulnerability you might not think a boxing coach is gonna be this guy saying you know how was your day um, you know what's on your mind do you want to talk about it you know typically you see that the guys on TV let's go one one two one two just screaming at you you know, just making you do, like forcing you to do this thing you just really don't want to do. But then somehow you get benefit out of it. But I just want to take the uh, the mental approach and and really address, like, how are you? Where are you? And where do you want to be? And how can we work together to get you there? So um, I, I love that model, and, and it has been working for me for sure. And working, I believe, for the people that have come to my class. Paul's been to, oh, well, doctor Renaissance Reneson's been to um, one of my classes, so he might be able to tell you. But um, I really appreciate what you said, Dr. Boss, with Dr. Bass.
3: Yeah, so I would um, you know, just second what Dr. Bass and uh, Coach Brandon were saying about um, I think you know guys in general tend to um, struggle with being vulnerable, Mm -hmm. and you know, saying something uh, that that can get them hurt or be risky, like I love you. Mm -hmm. Um, I would just add too that um, I think the experience for straight men versus gay men is, is very different. Mm-hmm. Um, I think um, as gay men are much more um, able, uh, depending on kind of your, maybe your culture, your background, much more able to kind of be vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I think there's a whole bunch of, of reasons um, for that. Um, and so I'm also curious about, you know, getting a feminine perspective um, and, how women might kind of relate to, you know, hearing those things from a straight man, a straight, a straight man being vulnerable saying, I love you. Um, and you know how that might come across. And I can,
0: uh, I'm glad you, you can segue into hearing a woman's perspective. So we have, uh, miss Shonda uh, Brown on the phone with us. I'm sorry. on zoom with us. Um, who I know she's author of three books at this point. She has uh she's a wonderful mother. I know she will definitely has a lot of knowledge when it comes to, you know, women, uh, mental health, as well as rel- relationships as far as, you know, from the woman's perspective. How you doing, Miss Brown? I call you Mama Brown.
4: <laughs> I'm doing fine. How's everybody doing this evening?
0: Great. Great. Really Great. well. Glad to have you on today, tonight. Thank
4: you for inviting me. I'm glad to be here. I'm actually humbled and honored to be here um what's the i'm sorry i had to jump jump off and jump back on but can you all just tell me um in just in a nut, quick nutshell what we are discussing i heard just a few things but i don't want to be out of order with my comments i already started writing down notes
1: <laughs> dr bass all right Indeed.
0: um dr bass are you on did you want to Did you want to talk give a little brief tonight's what we talked about
2: Sure. Uh, Ms. Brown, what we talked about uh, really was the vulnerability of men in our society. Mm -hmm. Also understanding why why some men are trained to emote and some men are trained not to. But generally speaking, men have this um, sort of narrative, if you will, for lack of a better phrase, this narrative that in order to be more masculine, you have to suppress a lot of your emotions so I gave my piece coach Brandon gave his piece and now we're we're uh, excited to hear your piece
4: okay so um in the vein of of men being vulnerable um of course I can relate at because I am also in addition to being a writer I am the mother of a 35 year old son that I raised as a single parent so um, I've always taught, I have a son and daughter, my daughter's 36, Lamonte is 35. I've always taught them um, to just be honest about how they feel. And so my take on being vulnerable is, I think that it is, um, it definitely speaks to how we are raised and our upbringing and who raised us. So were, were you raised by your mom? Were you raised by both parents? Uh, were you raised by a dad who was raised by his dad who didn't express themselves? Like in my ho- household, my mom raised my brother and I as a single parent, and my mom was not uh, very affectionate. Like she didn't do the hugging that much. We knew she loved us. We knew she loved us but she was not affectionate and that's how I grew up. So I grew up <laughs> and I'm still talking about, and I'm gonna get to uh, me and being vulnerable. So I grew up saying and thinking as a young child, oh, when I get grown, you know, I I want a hug. I want to be held. I want, you know, and, and, and the older I got, my mom is deceased now. She passed when she was 59, um, 14 years ago, but, um, when she, when I, when I grew up, and she, of course, was older than twenty years older than me, and we would try to hug her, and she would always. But that was based on uh, how she was raised, and so I think that a lot of how we end up as a as adults speaks a lot to how we were raised, the households we were raised in, the people that um you know that had. Uh, a lot to do with our upbringing even some of our teachers and so I just like growing up I always thought I said oh you know what when I have kids I'm I'm, I just want to be different like I want to be expressive and I'm a talker which I'm pretty sure y'all probably don't figure it out by now (laughs) Mm -hmm. very expressive and I write so I love words I love expressing myself I don't like um not telling the truth. You know, when we were growing up, we would get uh, whippings because I was the one who would, would tell everything. And so because of how I was raised, I was determined not to do that to my children. And so Jake and Paul both know my son, Lamonte. Lamonte is very vocal. Now y'all know why. Because in our household, you know, no matter how you felt, if you felt if if it has something to do with sexuality, if it has something to do with how people mistreated you outside of the home, we would have a conversation about it. And so here it is, fast forward for me raising the kids. Um, they're 18 months apart in the same household, and same same rearing, same you know same discipline. And my son and daughter are like day and night. Monte is very vocal. My daughter, you're going to have to pull it out of her. She She's like rough around the edges, but she has a good heart, soft heart, but Lamonte is more vocal. And so I, in my opinion, as far as men, brothers, no matter what color, no matter gay, straight, whatever, um, I just think that the parents had a lot, have, a lot to do with how our men feel now that they're grown. Like I've sat at my son's bar and had conversations with grown men who say, oh, you know what is so good that you come down here? Oh, and, and, and let me just say this too. Uh, my son is a gay African-American male child. And so I would sit at his bar and people would say, Always, oh, you know, other men would say to me, it's so nice that you come down here and support Lamonte. And I'm like, well, why wouldn't I come? You know, it's life for me and for the children and for all of you. It's about choices. And I always say to my son and his friends, anybody in my presence, just be safe. Be safe. Tell the truth. You got to be true to yourself because if you suppress how you feel, if you grow up not telling the truth, not being who you really are, um, you're gonna have something on your hands that you're gonna have to deal with. You're gonna have to go talk to somebody, you're gonna have to, you gonna have to be true to yourself. I, I love the um and then I'll hush and let somebody else uh take the mic. Um I love the saying uh to thine own self be true because true. if you tell the truth I, I mean my mother taught us the truth I live a lie any day of the week so you if you <laughs> tell the truth if you tell the truth then you don't have to worry about trying to I don't lie. and so i just think that parents do um not all parents because i know people gonna see this and hear this later but i think that parents do a lot of damage and a lot of disservice to our male children because we don't allow them to be uh for the lack of a better way to put it, like soft, or we if they cry, you know, you know, I've I've heard people say, Oh, with little boys, you're not supposed to cry. If it hurt, cry. You can cry. It's okay. We're human. This is how God made us. So anyway, that's my take on it. Just a little bit. <laughs> Sorry, y'all. No, I love you. I love you. We, don't love
2: you. You. we love have you. church and everything. Grant, I love <laughs> you. Amen energy. To that. I love your energy. And I, I, you, I don't know if uh, you could see two screens at the same time, but while you were speaking, I was just smiling from ear to ear because you're you. 100% correct. <laughs> 100% correct. You know, we get into a debate about nature and nurture, you know, and what makes a person a person. You know, mm-hmm. am I who I am because of how I was raised? Mm-hmm. Or am I who I am? Because genetically my parents created this, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. we do know that personality is starts somewhere around four years old. Mm-hmm. And who you are at four years old typically sort of goes until you you know transition. So mm-hmm. four years old, what's going on with dressing your, your son in blue or dressing your daughter in pink and all of the social structures that mm-hmm. come together like you mentioned You cannot cry if you get hurt you cannot express yourself emotionally Mm -hmm. what happens if i i like somebody you know little boys are told to like who is your girlfriend Mm -hmm. girls are asked you know how are your grades Mm -hmm. you know if a little girl likes somebody she's being (coughs) but if a little boy likes somebody he should like you know someone so it's it's a whole lot of this social nonsense but I wanted to chime in just a little bit and add one theory just for your listeners. There's something called a reciprocal gene environment model. And the reciprocal gene environment model just basically says this, and Dr. Jake, you, you, I'm sure you know about this one, but what it says is, is that you are in many cases more likely to recreate the script of your youth. You know, mm-hmm. now Freud said it and some other, you know, psychologists or, or uh, Theorists said this before, but we are more prone to create the script that we, you know, identify as our foundation. So if our foundation, and this is what I was talking to you about earlier, Coach Brandon, if our foundation is based <clears throat> in chaos, if the mm-hmm. way that our parents showed love was danger or bad or toxic or right, right, then more than likely what we will do is when we get older and we begin to experience and express our love for someone else then mm-hmm. it may come out in the same way. So right. when we talk about men not having the ability in this society to really express themselves, I'm looking at that as toxic masculinity. Yes, Not sure. what you see with this hyper masculinity concept that people are talking about. I see both of them actually as toxic right. masculinity traits.
1: For sure. I think the, the whole idea of heightened masculinity is, is a mask in and of itself. You know, I, I've, I've definitely found myself um when i was when i was in grad school uh, a couple years ago uh i wasn't getting that sense of fulfillment i'm like this isn't it so i suffered through a, a, de- a depressive period where i'm like i got to be this guy i got to be this guy i got to be this guy but something in me said i'm not this guy right now it's just just not but i i spent a year just just kind of quote unquote powering through it and and being really prideful about it to the point where I drove myself into a like, I hate what I'm doing right now, and I, I'm I'm not happy, you know. And it was like, um, I felt like my honesty wouldn't be received, and therefore I didn't share it. But once I did, you know, it of course I, I got myself out of school. You know, I didn't think of it as quitting you know, like, not not like my parents did, you know, like, you know, you don't need to quit. I didn't think of it as quitting. I thought of it as like self-love and self-care. And, um, I had to to decide like whether or not the way I feel about it was going to be received. I got to live this truth. And I think, um, you know, for a while I had that heightened masculinity. I don't need anybody. I can do this myself. You know, I was, it was, yeah, I was destroying myself with that stuff. So, I can say for sure I, I lived, you know, I lived that um, trying to cover up how I felt until I realized it was just important. Like no matter who understood, you just gotta let it out. And yeah, that's 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 why I'm boxing now, and that's why I motivate people through boxing. If you gotta get something out, you know, don't let it be toxic. Bring it, bring it to the table, and 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 turn it into something positive.
3: Yeah, and I think that, you know, what, what Coach Brandon's talking about and Dr. Bass mentioned earlier in terms of authenticity, mm. uh, there's a, a notion in psychoanalysis called your ego ideal. And so that's the kind of way that you want people to see you. Right. Right? That mm. it's, off, also, it's um, often disconnected between kind of your true sense of self or the way that you actually, you know, are. Yeah. And that disconnect, you know, is what gives rise to symptoms, gives rise to depression, anxiety, anger, all of these things. And so if we're able to kind of remove that mask right. and be more authentic, be more true to right. who we are, um, we're typically going to be more healthy in terms of mental illness. Right. And that both the notions that you know um, we've been talking about the toxic masculinity, hyper masculinity, that's a kind of false mask that's been given to us um, by what Miss Brown was saying um, you know generations of, of values and lessons that have been handed down. Mm-hmm. Uh, partially, we need to break those patterns and it's hard it's really hard to break out of family patterns right. And not just that, but also the media, you know, we get, we're constantly, it's it's gotten better, but, you know, we're constantly getting reinforced. Guys are reinforcing this sense of, of that. It's, it's cool to be, to be overly macho at the expense of vulnerability and love.
2: Absolutely. You know, the idea of, creating that true and authentic self and showing that true and authentic self is ideal. I agree with you 100%, but it's not safe. A lot of times other men won't allow us to be our true and authentic selves because it's perceived as something that's negative. Mm -hmm. So we have to do a big shift in our society Mm -hmm. to make what is right now not normative, normative. Because again, I agree with you, uh, Doc, when it comes to the mask that people wear, folks will wear these masks from, like mm-hmm. I mentioned, four years old, all the way until they die. And you see so many relationships not really having an opportunity to manifest because you have two people possibly wearing masks. Mm-hmm. You know, even if we are, uh, if we're raised to uh, show emotion, watch this, here we go. If we are uh, trained and, and, and come from a family that, you know, teaches us how to say things, how we feel and do all of those things, mm-hmm. we could find ourselves with a partner who grew up totally different. Mm-hmm. You know, they can grow up similar to how you described your uh, growing up early years, Ms. Brown, mm-hmm. how your parents really didn't promote a lot of mm-hmm. the touchy-feely, emotional mm-hmm. So now mm-hmm. here I am, somebody who is emotional. I've been taught that it's okay to express my emotion, but I find mm-hmm. myself with a woman who looks at my expression of emotion as a weakness. Mm -hmm. So not only uh, Dr. Jake is, do men look at me negatively, but now I'm partnered with a woman who's looking at me negatively. What am I more likely to do? I'm more likely to put back on that mask and suppress everything in order to conform to what society tells me I should be.
3: I wonder if there's maybe a racial component to this as well in terms of the African-American community um might be different than, you know, let's say the white community, the Hispanic community or other kinds of of demographics. I don't know if anybody wants to speak to that.
0: Yeah, and I wanna uh, yeah, I wanna kinda talk about that. Um I'm kinda glad you got into that. Uh, one um lady asked me, um a black woman she asked me when I brought these uh type of issues up. She said, Well who can you trust with your mental health? So I think that's kind of been the general general synopsis is that As as a community, Black people do not trust like uh psychologists, Black mental health, just because throughout history, like you'll see, uh, like you know, there's instances where, um, the last show we had with um Desmond, um, he was a victim of police brutality. He had um he went to a therapist, and the therapist was pretty much going to the police, telling him everything, where it made him not want to trust um the system. So we, we, in these type of situations, you know, what, what are we to do as, as a black community?
2: I have to say this, and I'm sure everybody's gonna say it. There's multiple black communities. There's right. no such thing as just one black community, just like there's no such thing as one white community or one gay male community. There's so many different variables and layers to this thing. Mm-hmm. You know, so we have to be very, very careful when we say that, you know, just the black community. Now you're mm-hmm. talking about socioeconomic status, what, which group are we talking about folks from the North? Are we talking about folks from the South? Are we talking mm-hmm. about Westerners? What, what, what are we talking about? Because I want to make sure that I'm clear when I answer in my own perspective, because I'm coming from DC now. So DC culture influenced the way that I'm going to answer from a DC perspective, mm-hmm. even though I've been living in Georgia for 20 years. Mm-hmm. So I can give you a little bit, but if you could help me just to, just to narrow that down just a little bit. I could give you a, my, my truly complete honest answer.
0: Well, more so the um, the 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 poverty. Uh, I guess the more impoverished communities. Um, you know, us not having access to to health health care. You know, just those those basic needs. Where, you know, the it's the poor blacks who really don't want to go to hospital. They don't want to get the um covid um vaccine shot. You know, everything that you know. They're kind of. I think we're kind of. As a community confused, like knowing who to trust for our health, our healthcare.
1: I have a maybe. Can I can I ask a question that might summarize that? Um, so, uh, Doctor Bass, this is I'm going to ask it in a general way, and I just want you to uh, you know because you're the professional, so I want you to try to like just make your own question out of it. If I'm too general, um, but as far as mental health. You know, um, how what do you what do you believe is the condition of the mental like mental health consciousness for Black people? And I say Black people because let's talk about like how is it represented in media? Um, who how how like what's feeding the subconscious? You know about you know uh, Black health consciousness, and do you believe that we get in our own way? Um, as we, I'm talking about, um, you may even see things maybe in yourself that you, that you may have gotten in your own way and may be able to empathize, you know, with, with someone else, but, you know, try to, try, try, to help me with that question. But what's, what's the narrative? What do you see as the narrative?
2: Uh, you know, there's always been a stigma in the African-American community about seeking services outside of the community. So when you begin to talk about mental illness, Mm -hmm. if I'm already seen as something negative in a society, Mm -hmm. the idea of of me now saying that there's even another layer of Mm -hmm. distance between me and normalcy is probably gonna be pushed away from or refuted. You know, I already have a strike against me because I'm black. I may have another strike against me because I'm poor. I can't afford to talk to anybody. And even if I get an opportunity to talk to somebody, they're gonna come from a different perspective than what I'm used to in my community, so they're not going to be culturally, you know, competent. They're not going to know what I, you know, what I value, you know. And then we have historical, you know, um, things like the Tuskegee experiment, where the United mm-hmm. States government, you know, you know, gave syphilis or or didn't treat the syphilis in, mm-hmm. you know, the community of Tuskegee, Alabama. We got, you know, so many other, you know, historical cases where black people were experimented on where they may not trust mm-hmm. you know, the medical uh, establishment, mm-hmm. and especially the psychological establishment. You mean mm-hmm. to tell me that I'm going to come into a stranger's office and be vulnerable enough to tell <laughs> this man or this woman, even if they are black, all of my business? Mm-hmm. Oh, we don't do that. No, we go to yes. church. <laughs> We're oh going to go God. to church and we're going to pray it away. Right. Gonna right. go, oh, right. gonna to Jesus. And Jesus is going to make it all right because that's normal. Right. It's not normal to go and talk to a stranger about my problems because that stranger, just like you said, Doc, that stranger may come and tell my business to someone else. And mm-hmm. Dr. Jake, you, you and I both know that that's highly unethical and really a, a violation of confidentiality and all of that. But if somebody has the ability to rat me out or to say something about me, then I'm terrified to express myself. Mm-hmm. Maybe I yeah. do like something outside of the realms of what's normal mm-hmm. for people my age. and I tell you, now my secret is out. you know I work right now with a client who is a very, very popular artist and in our session just recently he came to me and he said, "Dr. Bass, <laughs> You know, I have been with women my whole life, but last year during the COVID experience, for the first time I slept with a man and he began to cry. Now I've been working with this young man for about uh, uh, seven months, six, seven months now. And he began to cry, not because he felt this, this thing. He started to cry because he had never felt vulnerable enough to share that idea with somebody else. And what mm-hmm. was I as a black man gonna do to him? How am mm-hmm. I now gonna judge him because he's mm-hmm. now gay or having uh, homoerotic thoughts or behaviors? Mm-hmm. What happens to me is that now as I, in his mind, reject him for being outside of quote unquote normalcy. It's a very mm-hmm. scary place, man, mm-hmm. for people to, to feel vulnerable enough to share that, especially with the stigma in the black community, mm-hmm. right. So and okay.
4: then and then I want I want to add that um, <clears throat> in my notes I wrote down that as far as mental health and this is for everybody for everybody's listening, um, traditionally and culturally, um, and I'm speaking again raised in a in the black home <laughs> around black folks, we go pray. If somebody acts different and they were really mentally ill, anybody act different in the family, we would either call them crazy or we would say, oh, no, we just going to pray, honey, He going to be all right. Just sit him over there in the corner and they're going to be all right. That's Not right. really like, you know, defining what it was that people mm-hmm. in our, in our uh, family, you know, de- had mental illness going on. But because of, again, and I know I keep saying this, but I'm, I'm speaking from <clears throat> my frame of reference is how I was raised. Um, that's, that's what I raised, that's what I was raised to hear. Um, and then even like a teenager, um, it, it, going to college, everything. And in, in my, my experience has been that, you know, like you said, um, Dr. Bass, that we just didn't go out and tell our business you know, especially not to a stranger, but here it is in 2021, L- look where we are in terms of be it how we was raised or we just didn't talk about it or it, it, we didn't wanna uh, define it or say what it really was, that it was mental illness, look where we are now. We we have, we end up and we're in this place in society where um, to me, I feel like men and women, not just not just men, but men and women are scared to be who they really are and to express that, you know, they could be um, mentally ill to the point of having suicidal thoughts. But they're so scared to go talk to somebody professionally, you know, they just suffer in silence. And like I said, my, my three books, all of my books are self-help type books In in each of my books and all of the books that God gives me to write, the inspiration to write, I always talk about, if you need professional help, stop listening to people telling you, oh, um, (laughs) we just gonna pray it away. Honey, if you gay, we just gonna pray. We just gonna seek the Lord. We gonna do that, but you need some professional help. And I always encourage people in my books. I use the platform that I have. It is very risky. It is very scary. To think that you will go to a professional and um, you know, you you already uncomfortable. It's it's already risky, you already like battling with, oh, I don't even want, you know, to tell them this, because I'm sure the young man that you you mentioned, your um client, probably struggle with even sharing that with you. You know what I'm saying? So this this you have to create this atmosphere, and I'm not even a therapist, don't claim to be or anything. Didn't go to school for it, but I do know this: that um, Lamonté and I recently talked about mental illness, like in our family, because we just lost a family member on September sixteenth in Texas to COVID. Well, we get we get out. We fourteen of us from Georgia flew or and or drove to Texas, and so it was just it was just chaotic because you know, the family members don't really want to deal with truth. And, you know, people are judgmental and just not being who they are, not saying where they were. Like my cousin that died, she was 51. She was asthmatic. And um, half of them talk, you know, just saying this is, again, this is this tradition stuff. Oh, no, I'm not getting the vaccine because it's not safe. I know what they said. I read this on the internet. I'm like, you read it on the internet, <laughs> so that makes it not safe, and so it's just a lot of bad information. And I know that it's risky, but I'm telling you, when I when I have an opportunity or a platform through my books, through um, uh, motivational speaking, I always encourage people to be who who God made you, who you are, who your your authentic self. I love that. Be who you are. Because you can be the best you that... Can't nobody else beat me being Shonda Brown. Nobody else in the whole world. Flaws and all. Can't nobody else uh, be me, beat me being me. And so I think that in our community, um, to the um, young man that like the box, box it out. <laughs> <laughs> I think that in our That's community, me. we just, rather than deal with, with issues or deal with how we feel, I think that we just you know, we do suppress it and then it, it just adds on and it makes situations and feelings more worse than than what they should be or could be. And um, there's a chapter in one of my books, y'all. This is a shameless plug. I'm sorry, but I'm just, this is my just my frame of reference. This is my books and what I write. Um, that, that says, uh, if you don't deal with it, it will deal with you. And so mm-hmm. as far as mental illness goes, and so I used the opportunity in Texas with my family who is, we from the deep south, i from Dallas to Georgia. So grew up in the country, raised country, now being in Atlanta about 35 years in the city with own and popping. <laughs> but I used my, my platform even in Texas to let my family know too that, oh no, they were, you know, pointing fingers and saying, oh, she needs to do this. And we had A few cousins who are, I don't even know how to say this without it coming across like I'm being judgmental, but uh, I'm not being judgmental, I'm just being real. A few cousins that, who are clearly gay, but they are not out of the closet to some of our family members. And so they were uh, kind of put to shame a little bit and I'm like, oh my God, do you know how much damage that is doing to them? You know, so Monty and I had this whole conversation. We still talking about it. But I just, my prayer is that as a race, as a race of people, not just black people, white people, Hispanic, all colors of the rainbow that God made, that we would get to a point where we would just just take the step or that God would align our paths with people who will say, you know what? It's okay not to be okay. It's okay to go, see a therapist you know and then and i'll say this and then i'll hush for a few more minutes um in my family they used to say oh you're going to see a what a psychiatrist honey they can't tell you nothing they charge you all that money and they ain't gonna help you you could just talk you just talk to jesus (laughs) (laughs) no i'm gonna talk to jesus but i'm gonna need to go sit on somebody's couch um and, and and be honest and and just get because the other thing is in our families in my family is um when your family knows you or they think they know you they're going to be biased you know because they don't want to hurt your feelings they don't want to you know tell you that oh, oh no you were wrong honey that's wrong and that's not the way you need to go you need to get um professional help so That's my take, I know I went all over the world, but I'm sorry. I'm excited to be here with y'all, honey.
2: You were great, you were great. If I I may, uh, Dr. Renaissance, Dr. Jake, if I may, uh, let me just tell this really, really quick story. And I'm glad that you were talking about that in terms of family, Ms. Brown, because my mom came out the closet when I was seven years old and she was depressed for much of my younger years. When she came out, when I was seven years old, her family totally pushed her and subsequently us away from the family. We were disconnected. So my mom married, you know, her partner, they're still married today. You know, I have stepmom, love my mom and my other mom, beautiful, you know, I'm an ally, the whole thing. But that mental illness or that mental challenge of being rejected Mm -hmm. from Mm -hmm. a community is still there. Mm -hmm. Here my mom is 70 years old and Mm -hmm. she's dealing with being rejected from Mm -hmm. a family just based on the fact that she loved differently. You know, so this is a really big thing in our community that we Mm -hmm. shun family members away Mm -hmm. with Mm -hmm. this idea that there's something called crazy. Now, no DSM in the history of DSM's Diagnostic and Statistical Manual for Mental Disorders for those of you who are novice. There's no such thing as crazy. We don't acknowledge the word "crazy." There's no diagnosis called crazy, mm-hmm. and the idea that this word <laughs> continues to permeate through our communities—it's mm-hmm. just—it's just so outdated, mm-hmm. so outdated. So I thank God for or for people like you and your book, Miss Brown. Mm-hmm. I thank God, you know, for Coach Brandon and what you're doing by pulling out different ideas because exercise mm-hmm. does help with mental
1: health.
2: Mm-hmm. So let mm-hmm. me shut up. I just
4: wanted to throw that piece and in. I had that was good. Quick.
2: Thank you. Well,
4: who is Dr. Renaissance?
0: Is that your call? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Renaissance. Okay. Yes, Dr. Renaissance. Um great, great, uh, great perspective that we we've been talking about. Um, I wanna go deep into um uh, women's health, in particular. I know um, a lot of laws have been passed about um, abortions, and you know, men controlling women's health. And I know a, a lot of women have been kind of um, upset about that. So I want to know what was your what's your take on all this is going on as far as you know people deciding um, when is you know when is murdering a child you know illegal. You know, I hear six weeks. Some people say up to term. You know, what is your what is your take on that whole aspect, Miss Brown?
4: Oh, no, honey. Who's going to see this? <laughs> Who's going to see this?
2: <laughs> Everybody.
4: <laughs> and, they <mama. laughs>
2: and they mama.
4: And they mama. Um, well, my, my, my personal honest opinion is I think it is unfair that other people get to decide or have an opinion or a vote, if you will, on other people's situation, you know, um, I do know as a woman and I've never, um, I've never had an abortion, so I'm not even coming from that vein, but I do know that there are situations where um, women feel, uh, I guess that abortions are justified. And so my personal opinion on it is that it is a personal decision that should be made by that person who is living through that situation. We do know that there are situations where women get pregnant um, due to them being violated, being raped, or what have you. In those cases, you know, your heart, um, my heart is a a bit more tender and more understanding um, as far as um uh, you know abortions are concerns and women's rights and what have you the other side of it for me is for women to um just hmm, let me see how I want to say I want to be politically correct too. <laughs> to be wise um I know this you know I know I went to college, and it was wild, and I'm almost 60 now, but, you know, I, I, I didn't get here by being a saint. You know, I did stuff, too, in the past that, you know, I probably escaped a, a lot of stuff, just didn't catch up with me, some of the wrongs that I did, but, and I thank God for that, but I do know that, you know, a lot of decisions that are made in politics, or what have you, as it relates to uh, women's abortions, I do think that, you know it's a woman's right it's it's our it is our bodies and it's our right but i also feel i'm torn because um i also feel that we just have to you, you know use wisdom because we do know we're not um uh we're not uh, slow to think that everybody who gets a, an abortion um was violated we know that's not the case everybody that gets the uh abortion. Some people get abortions for many, uh, many reasons, but just, you know, because you were careless or because you made a bad decision (laughs) or because you got drunk and you got pregnant and now you want to have an abortion. I think that, um, you know, we all have to be wise and not, I mean, yes, you asked me the question as a woman. So that's a woman's perspective, but also men too, because it takes two to tango. So, you know, you just got to use wisdom, and I just—I mean, I—I I, just—I mean, I—I've I've only been pregnant twice, and and I have two children. Um, this goes back to, and I can only speak from this. I keep saying it, but this is how I was raised—raised raised in the church. So y'all already know what I'm about to say. Oh, oh you, you had a baby. Oh, you, you grown enough to make a baby. You grown enough to have a baby. You gonna have it. Now they might have hid the baby back in the day. <laughs> you didn't know who, especially if it was a bunch of, you know, kids in the house, you maybe didn't know who's, which daughter's or which son's child it was. But in my day, you know, abortions when was not heard of in my day. Back in the day, I was born in the 60s, y'all. And, um, but here it is, 2021, you know, we got young folks and older folks uh, who wanna be young, still dealing with it, like still getting pregnant, like still having one night stands, still not using protection, still not being wise. So I, I just think that, you know, it's a personal thing. I don't think that it's fair that, People get to judge you and decide when you know. I, I and, but then the other part of me is like you know when I was pregnant once I felt my baby moving and growing ain't no way I I just couldn't couldn't have done it and I had both of my children out of wedlock. They was gonna see this now. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> But I just, you know, I just think it's a personal decision. And I think that it's unfortunate that, um, you know, some lawmakers feel like it's a decision that's up to them, you know. And I think that people will be uh, slower to judge and slower to vote (laughs) against certain things um, when it hits their homes or their front doors, if that makes sense, or their lives or their children's lives.
3: Yeah, I think, um, yes. 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 Okay. yeah, Ms. Brown, that's a, uh, that's a really excellent point. Um, that I think that, uh, the Texas law that is kind of being challenged, you know, in the court system, I think they stop, um, ban abortions at six weeks or more. If, if I'm not mistaken and my, you know, I'm not a woman, but, uh, you know, I think some women don't even know that they're, they're pregnant at six weeks. Um, and
4: they may say they don't know they know, honey. <laughs> okay. I'm, just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm
1: kidding. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah.
3: Hashtag not really kidding. Real. So, yeah. but I, I would agree with you, Miss Brown that, uh, you know, I don't think the state should be telling women what to do with their bodies. Period, and that should be a, a personal choice, but it should not come from the government.
0: And I think what, kind of what happened was, I think the Supreme Court kind of got involved in that case as well, where they kind of wanted to, to keep their hands from it, which is a whole nother ball game. Supreme Court now, they seem like they're being political they're being politicized in a way where they're make pretty much making judgment calls based off, you know, being biased. You know, and, you know they say judges aren't supposed to be biased, but, you know, here we are the Supreme Court, you know, having a hand in these type of decisions. So um, anybody want to speak about that? Or Dr. Bass, I know you want to give your perspective on uh, that, because I know we kind of discussed that in, in our class as well uh, with pregnancy and having, uh, you know, having children and things of that nature, if he's still on. Is he still on?
2: couple of things, the first thing that I wanted to say that I didn't say before was my condolences to you, Miss Brown, for the loss of your family Mm -hmm. member. I didn't get a chance to say that the last time I spoke, but that was the tip of my heart. The next thing that I wanna say is that you must have won the genetic lottery because you don't look nothing close to 60.
1: Right, right.
2: If that that is me flirting, please accept my (laughs) apology, but you look real close to about 40 years old. So amen to your parents, (laughs) okay? (laughs)
4: Yes. Can't be
2: 40, can't be 40 with a 35-year-old son oh, now. You got to do the math. <laughs> five years old, five and six. <laughs> but good stuff. But when it comes to um, abortion and when it comes to the Texas law, I have to agree with Miss Brown. Number one, it's nobody's business for anyone to tell them what to do with their bodies. Mm-hmm. You know, there are a number of women who unfortunately and men who use abortion as you know contraception. And for that, I have a problem. But when it comes to me or anyone else having the right or the authority to dictate what they do with that, mm-hmm. you know, I believe that that's wrong. So mm-hmm. I stay quiet and I stand mm-hmm. in solidarity with uh, folks who, who uh, align with Ms. Brown's position.
1: I, I tend to stay quiet on this one. I know it's extremely more complex than I can even, you know, grasp. You know, I know, I, 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 I grew up in the church um, sex was for marriage, you know, sex is as a as a reproductive interaction between a man and a woman. It's a lot of heteronormativity. Um I I'm still um learning and shaping my perspective on it. And I think I think many people should should brainstorm quietly and, and, and let the experts talk. So I'm learning.
2: Amen. Well, you know it was the apostle Paul in the Bible who was the first since <laughs> you brought in the Bible now. I'm going to Oh cool no. Cool when the apostle Paul was the first one to talk about uh sex associated with sin.
1: Mm-hmm. So the
2: idea of sex for procreation came about based on his writing, not all anything right. before that time. all right What I know as a 58 year old man is, <laughs> is that when it comes to sex for just procreation, those times are long gone if right. you're having sex just for procreation and not for pleasure then you're missing the larger piece of why God put our homologous tissue where he put his our homologous tissue you know, right right
1: like yeah. yeah well i i think i think i very genuinely feel feel the same uh the same way but i think it is it's uh it's in, in stark contrast to you know how how i was raised Um, so much of what I, like you said, like you, you've, you've been in DC. So your perspective is going to be from, from that. I, this, this, uh, my, my perspective is going to be limited until, until I learn more for sure. But I thank you for sharing that. Cause, uh, yeah.
3: (laughs) I mean, I would just say, I would just add that, you know, I think, uh, uh, sex, our understanding of sex of course is, you know, historically handed down to us through traditions like the church, other institutions, psychology as an institution teaches us a certain way to view and enjoy sex and have Mm -hmm. sex. Um, and I would also add that in the gay community, um, yes, there's a sense of shame about sexuality itself or can be a sense of shame. You know, people can struggle with that, but, uh, you know, it, I think once there's you've worked through that shame, it, there seems to be a, a more celebration of our sexual side. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's not, you know, within the community itself, and of course, I'm generalizing, you know, I could say, I mean, I live in Atlanta, so I could say, <laughs> I could say the Atlanta gay community, uh, you know, there's not, it's much more open than my experience where I'm from, which is, you know, rural Illinois, uh, you know, corn country. Uh, where it's the more traditional, you know, family, you know, two parents, heterosexual parents, and um, uh, so it's a different relationship, I think, to, to sex and sexuality and pleasure more generally.
2: I agree. I agree. I think that when we start to engage in that conversation, that sex should just be for procreation, then we begin yeah. to eliminate whole communities who enjoy sex for sex sake. That's number one. Number two, when we begin to look at the gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender community, then we, we, we run into a problem when we just put them just as sexual beings. Mm-hmm. There's so much more to people mm-hmm. than who they have sex with. Mm-hmm. But that's one, that's one thing that I really despise about how the gay community is often perceived in the media. It's like Little Nas X, for example, he became very, very famous in a very short period of time, in my opinion. And the reason that he really blew up was because he was really out there and really flamboyant when it came to sexual expression. I do believe that everybody has the right to control their own expression of sexuality. So that's not my issue. My only issue is is that when other people say that that's all that gay people are, Mm -hmm. are people who walk around in tight pink shorts, Mm-hmm. That's all that gay people are, are people mm-hmm. who have sex in, in lewd and lascivious places. Right. That's all that gay people are. And I have a problem with that because it minimizes a human being to just a sexual act mm-hmm. that's not done every single minute of every single day. Mm-hmm. So let's say a person has sex once a day. Mm-hmm. What happens to the other 23 hours mm-hmm. of a person's existence? We just eliminate that. So I, I try to stay away from that idea that, you know Paul really alluded to or, or spoke of when he said that sex should just be for procreation, and there is no higher love than if you really go back and you read Paul, Paul said, there is no stronger love than that between a man and God, number one, mm-hmm. but then number two, between a man and his friend who is also a male. Mm-hmm. right? So he promoted man on man love, not sexual, but man Mm -hmm. on man love. So, what happened to the woman in that? You know what happened? It's it's so much patriarchy in a lot of the early writings of the you you know the apostles and so forth. So, when you when you look at Christianity as a lens to really view all people, you know there, you know Jesus said in one of his earlier. pieces in the Bible, he who is without sin cast the first stone. You all remember that. And Mm -hmm. that there should be equal punishment for transgression. So if we understand that to be the case, then why aren't men sleeping with 20 women outside of their marriage, not given the same type of energy Mm -hmm. as men who sleep with other men or women who Mm -hmm. sleep with other women. Mm -hmm. It's just hypocrisy at astronomical levels. Mm -hmm. And I think that in our society, there's always have, there always has to be a protagonist and an antagonist. Mm-hmm. There always has to be a hero mm-hmm. and somebody who's a villain. Mm-hmm. And what I've seen white patriarchy do is to create groups and boxes of people who serve the role as the antagonists. And I tell you, 2021, y'all, that's old. We gotta mm-hmm. get past All Right.
0: So I want to segue into that um, topic, uh, um, sexuality, uh, as it pertains to um, human sexuality. Um, Like I explained earlier before, uh, I met Dr. Bass um, as a professor. um, I took his human sexuality class. It was a class I didn't have to take. I I, I took it as an elective because, you know, everyone was saying, well, you should take this human sexuality class. Um, and I definitely glad I took it It was a great experience. Like I learned so much, you know, so much that I didn't know before. And one assignment that I would never forget that always, that always struck with me, um, is what he said. Um, so, um, I know he kind of said different, but how I looked at it was different was, um, for extra credit assignment, you know, if you go to a, a, a gay club or a gay strip club, I'll give you extra credit like, extra credit on your assignment, like, to boost your grade up. And I think, you know, at that time, you know, we are all college students, so we're, I think everyone was kind of confused, at least for the most part, from what I, I can recollect. It was just like – Okay, like what kind of what kind of assignment is this? Like, yeah. I feel like they, I feel like people didn't know what, what to think. They didn't want to say yes or no. I think like they were just sitting there, kind of confused. Like, should I go or shouldn't I go? And I just thought that was just very interesting. Like, wow, he came up with an assignment to go to a gay club. Like, and like people were just looking confused. Like, should I go? Is it worth me <laughs> going? And so I wanted to um, talk about like what made you come up with that a type of assignment because that was very creative. Like, like to come up with something like that
2: you know, what I have found and what we sort of talked about earlier before the show is that there's a lot of ignorance based on those boxes that I just described. Mm -hmm. And the only way to understand ignorance is to come face to face with it. Mm -hmm. So the idea of sending heterosexual men into a gay bar, like, you know, the number one place that I would send them would be a place on uh, Peachtree Street called Bulldogs. And then I would also send them to um, a gay uh, club Further up um, Northside Drive, it's called uh, Swinging Richards, right? So I would send them, these heterosexual men, to these places so that they could confront their ignorance and that they could actually talk to people who are in that lifestyle, who are in that community. And even if they are approached and someone says, and which has happened a couple of times, I will buy you a drink. Can I buy you a drink? Or they may have experienced some flirtation. They had to come to understand that just because you're in a gay environment, it does not mean that you are gay. You're not going to be turned gay just because somebody speaks to you, or you're not going to be, you know, uh, transformed into a gay male if you, you know, accept a drink from another person. Or watch this: even if you have a sexual experience and you are trying to understand your own sexuality, if you entertained or if you investigated that lifestyle and you decided that that was not for you, it doesn't mean that you are what you have always feared the gay boogeyman to be. So I gave that assignment uh, about 10, 15 years ago and I've been doing it ever since. Gay men, you know, go to a heterosexual club. How do you experience that environment? Uh, Lesbian women, you go to a straight, you know, environment you know, uh, heterosexual women, you go to a lesbian night. So I wanted them to, again, you know, Dr. Renaissance, come to an understanding of what they thought was not necessarily based in fact, it was based on what they were taught. So, so many people got their minds changed and their minds blown Mm -hmm. and they were like, oh my gosh, Dr. Bass, this was the best experience that I've ever had because now I can call myself a true ally. To the community mm-hmm. i no longer fear gay people i'm mm-hmm. no longer homophobic because mm-hmm. now i have a better understanding of it mm-hmm. and of course one night or one experiences doesn't give you the whole realm of what it is to live and be gay lesbian bisexual transgender but what it does is mm-hmm. it puts you right in the face
4: mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. of your biggest confusion mm-hmm. so yeah i still do that to this day paul I mean, excuse me,
0: Doctor Renaissance. That's fine. That's fine. Either either name is is cool with me. (laughs) Um, I wanted to talk about. um, Was about to say, I I lost my train of thought. Um, a lot of people say that historically, you know, a lot of this, you know, gay boogeyman or you know, so to speak, kind of comes from slavery, um, where actually the slave masters were actually raping the black men in front of the the black women. After that's how butt breaking kind of started. And so I wanted to see if you wanted to expound on that historically, give more context on that history so people can understand exactly where did all this come from.
4: Buck breaking
2: was a concept that was done in three places. The first place that it was uh, done was in the Jamaica, the island of Jamaica. The other place that it was done was in uh, the Norfolk, excuse me, the uh, Hampton Roads area of Virginia. And then there was also reported uh, about five to 10 uh, cases of buck uh, breaking in New Orleans. So these were uh, horrid um, things that uh, happened where they would bring men off the uh, slave ships. And, you know, as they were pulled off the slave ships, they would have the black community, the other slaves who were living in that uh, space, to gather around and they would chain the men to the ground where a white man would come, who was a, a breaker, would come and actually rape a black man in front of that community. And the reason that that was done was to show that he had superior power over this black man and that no other person, no woman or child or other man should ever test the authority or power of this white man, of this white master. So yeah, buck breaking, um, excuse me. Buck breaking camps were uh, very, very popular in the 16 in the late 1600s, early 1700s, but they begin to wane off right around 1805. That just
1: genuinely makes me so angry, you know, um, that makes me really mad. <clears throat> it's not, it's not that I didn't know that it's just like, uh I guess I empathize a lot with people. I guess that's just part of, like, who I am. I think maybe part of my calling is to be a coach because I, I do feel like I try my best to empathize and sympathize. And when it comes to certain parts of, of our history, it just really initially, like, it just arouses just anger. You know, like, like damn, somebody somebody had to suffer through that and could do nothing about it. You know, and I think that's that's really what drives the sort of empowerment I feel like I wanna share. Of course I'm, I'm I'm trying to improve on it, but there is just I can't I can't I can't relate to that that type of trauma, but but there is is no good feeling associated with not having that freedom.
2: It's interesting, Coach Brandon, that you talk about that there's this book, actually a, a point of theory, by a uh, author by the name of Dr. Joy Groy. Mm-hmm. And Dr. DeGroy created a seminal work called Post-Traumatic Slave Syndrome. Mm-hmm. I need you to go and find this work. Because not only does she talk right, about, it's called Post-Traumatic Slave Syndrome. Not only does she talk about things like buck breaking, but she also talks about its crumbs. And what I mean by crumbs is how in 2021 are we still experiencing some of the same types of concepts, not by a evil slave master or anything like that, but even in ourselves as a community. Mm -hmm. The one thing that I've learned as a psychologist in doing this work is that hurt people do in fact hurt people, right? We understand Mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. Another byproduct of that is If I am traumatized by something or someone, the only way that I can, in many cases, get that power back from the trauma is to become the perpetrator, see? So now I am no longer going to be victim of whatever. I am going to now victimize. And that plays itself out in bullying. It plays itself out, because you know that bullies are the ones who have the lowest self-esteem, right? It plays itself out on those who hate the, the gay community because we know, based on sciences, that the one who screams gay, faggot, homo, homo, they scream the loudest, those are the ones who typically have the highest rates of homoerotic thought. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's a, a need to regain the power. So I want you to go, if you can, and find her work. Again, her name is Dr. Joy DeGroy, and uh, her book and her work is really related to post-traumatic slave syndrome. You'll see how bug breaking gotcha. still exists even today.
1: Gotcha. Well, yeah, I, that sounds like an an extremely useful resource, and I'll, I'll definitely dig into that. Hopefully, I can get in contact with him tell you what I think about it. Thank you. Anybody want
3: to say? Um. Yeah. I mean, I think my only comment was I think that 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 history of slavery and uh, rape and exploitation by white men in particular um, speaks to um, current day struggles with power around sex and sexuality. Mm -hmm. Of course, historically, that is a a blatant kind of example. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think as we moved further along, the white supremacy, for example, um, or um, misogyny doesn't take that overt form. Rather, it goes covert, and it enters our relationships, it enters our institutions, and it, it, it perpetuates itself in a much more kind of secretive way. Um, and so I, I appreciate that, that um, example because I think it points out exactly what we might experience on a relational level today. Um, with, for example, the, the point that Dr. Bass used of a straight man going into a gay bar just because they're hit on, just because they're given a compliment. Why is that threatening? Right? Some of that's that residual historical trauma um, that uh, I can't blame that person for necessarily being threatened. They don't know better. All right but we need to do the work to raise consciousness provide education and help people see that um you know just because i'm going to to compliment you or buy you a drink i'm not trying to turn you gay um i'm not trying to to do anything hopefully right against your your will um so um yeah i i i appreciate that
1: yeah i i could say um uh, some of what was was spoken about earlier makes me think about uh, it makes me think about my grandfather, and um, you know the the, the very many uh, black folks that moved from the south to the north, especially, particularly to Michigan for the General Motors, and um, you know from what I recognize in my family, it's just a lineage of just taking a lot of pride in being able to come from nothing, and and build a strong network, and and be a pillar in the church, and. Be a leader in the community, etc., 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 and a lot of that just has this masculinity tied to it. You know, a lot of the leaders in the church could <clears throat> we're cutting the lawns, we're fixing all the stuff in the church. We didn't need mechanics, we didn't need plumbers. Like all the leaders in the church, we just just had this supply of of manly traits that that it's like. I'm proud that I can bring this to the forefront. So like when you have, when you look through that lens, I can't generalize for everyone else. But When you think masculine, 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 and then what you associate to be like feminine qualities, you shy away from those, whether it's talking about how you feel or, or being open-minded um, and, and being comfortable around someone who, who loves differently. Um, it's, it's, it's like a, almost like a, um, I mean, you've got to be courageous at the end of the day um, because as much as we can look at how other things in the past or, or whatever can define who we are or, or our our value systems, we do have a choice. And it doesn't make it an easy choice, but you do have to step out of that comfort zone. And, no, and like, no amount of history or, or foretelling of the future can, can prepare a person to just take that leap. And it's something that we all have to do individually for whatever it is that our goal is in life. And I, that's pretty much every class has like a word of encouragement, like at the end of my boxing classes. And I try to tie in a way that we can all relate with one another. And sometimes I use the, the, the word push or, or pain or excitement. Everybody was excited today or whatever. But one thing we all have to do is take that leap. You know, that's any, anything that's going to be worth it in life. You're going to have to take that leap. And if you're not comfortable, if you decide you want to get uncomfortable with it and you decide it's something that you want to, Continue to learn how to value you gotta leap and um so that's what I'm getting you know i'm I'm kinda of becoming more conscious of you know my foundation and how that may limit my ability to 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 express love or to understand um anyone who 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 lives loves or thinks differently than I do, and at the same time I'm like. I'm I'm glad that I'm that I'm willing to take that leap and just try to understand. And I hope that anybody hearing this whole podcast, just if you if if you got an inkling of a of a you know something in you that says I want to understand, just take the leap, and and perhaps you will get that understanding.
2: It goes back to that ego ideal that Dr. Jake talked about. That goes back to that authentic self that Miss Brown talked about. That goes back to being truly who you are. So what I would love to do and be a fly on your wall, you know, coach, is to walk into your your gym and to see these young people really expressing themselves in the ways that they feel comfortable expressing themselves with a, a leader who truly knows who he is, you, that you won't necessarily put all of your necessary baggage on them, but they have an opportunity to create their own.
0: So I guess we'll get into our last topic was um, relationships. I know that's been pretty much our number one topic we've been talking about even um, in our previous episodes. Um, but I know in our earlier episodes we didn't have any women um, on the show at the time. And I know a lot of women that have watched my show were saying, well, can we get a woman's perspective? You know, I don't want to hear men talk all day. So <laughs> that's why I'm glad we have Miss Brown to give that perspective of, like, you know, what's going on like in this world of relationships, you know, a lot of people say you know they don't want to get married. A lot of women say they really just be single and you know just you know go up that corporate ladder. You know they don't need a man, to independent, and you know and traditionally you know people say that you know everyone wants somebody. So what like what explain all that? Why is this happening? That's a lot of
4: question.
3: <laughs> a lot of question.
4: But I just you know <clears throat> I think that we would all be in a better place um have we not been blessed to live through this at this age of technology and social media cuz we compare ourselves i hear them a lot on 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 the news all saying how the teenagers are uh judging themselves or they're having self esteem issues because of social media so, take that out, which we can't, and I think that we will be in a better place um, as far as any relationship, no matter, even with friendships, because now we use, you know, we use social media, and I like what you said, Dr. Brandon, the, the sponsor, uh, that's your name? Oh, Coach, Coach, Coach Brandon. Brandon. Coach, Brandon. <laughs> Coach, Brandon. Coach Brandon. Yes, ma'am. Maybe that was a, a, prop, a prophetic oh word. God, I um,
1: <laughs> but <laughs> <laughs> We got we've got some real doctors in here, so I don't even want to say anything I'll humble myself and I'll get there. I'll call myself doctor when y'all are not around. Okay, coach.
4: <laughs> coach Brandon, I have been, I have really um liked Doctor Bass said I have enjoyed your um sharing um. You know, that you're using your platform, your um your classes to help others, to, to help educate others. And I'm I am, and I'm gonna get to the relationship part, I am all for <clears throat> seeing the glass half full. So when I walk into my office, I am the one who even on Mondays, y'all know Mondays are rough. Sometimes after a weekend, you don't work all weekend or whatever you did on the weekend. Mondays are rough, and so I am the one in my office, believe it or not, that will come in even on Mondays. Happy Monday! How's everybody doing? I'm back, right, right,
1: right. And I
4: could be the mm-hmm. one who have had a sleepless night. <clears throat> Just flew in from Texas from attending my cousin's service, and on Monday. Because I choose to see the glass half, half full versus half empty. I feel the Amen. same way towards relationships. I think that we, um, because of social media, we don't take the time to get to know people. So we end up, um, Paul, you said you talk to women who, you know, have these opinions. Well, I don't need a man because I'm independent. You know, that's, if you, if you peel the onion, it's more to it than that. Um, I think that we have, um, just, just like our ideas of relationships and, um, friendships are real friendships and, um, just standing in the gaps of each other. All of that to me has been thwarted by social media because social media and the news and the media, not just social media, um, paints these pictures when in reality, that's not how it how it how it really is for a lot of people and so at my age um i have friends who now um are single and who are satisfied being single of course we all want companionship i think when you get like over 55 i think you just you know you enjoy companionship you enjoy you know coming home to somebody and sharing you know how your day went or whatever whatever but sometimes when you get um seasoned for the lack of uh, lack of another term it's like (laughs) you don't even want to be bothered because i don't i don't i don't entertain um um not on purpose i don't entertain negativity and i'm not saying i don't have my days and my nights when you know i feel like i want to throw the towel in i do because i'm human but i just choose to just think differently and i think that all of us here tonight and those that will listen to this later, you have to um, you, you have to change the narrative. You got to change the tape. You got to change what you're saying to yourself. Change the self-talks from, you know, yes, I ate a burger and I'm not I'm not supposed to have bread. But guess what? I enjoyed it. And tomorrow's a new day. We're going to start over tomorrow. But tonight I enjoyed my cheeseburger. I'm telling you. Right. <laughs> and I ate right. all the bread
1: right right right. Um, enjoy it enjoy it
4: it. i just think think that um it is a blessing for all of us to use the the platforms that we have classrooms jobs even bartending you know to me um that's that's a ministry in and of itself you get to talk to people jake y'all jake you and paul know this To be true, you get to talk to people, you get to know people on a personal level, you get to, you may not even know this with bartending or serving or whatever, or with coaching or with teaching, um, that you are in that place where you are, where you can talk somebody off the ledge, just by being who you are, just by just listening, because I know at the the bar, y'all hear everything, (laughs) because I hear everything when I'm there. Up to kitchen I'm like, oh my god, I can't drink but two drinks and drive to Lathonia. Come on, but anyway, um, a couple of things I wrote down and I'm gonna be done for the night. <clears throat> Dr. Bass said, this, and I loved it that, um, we miss the opportunity when it comes to interacting with, um with, with um, people who are gay, I think we miss the opportunity to really get to know people because all we think about um, sometimes, not everybody, but all we think about is the sexual side of somebody who is, you know, somebody who is gay or transgender. That's all we think about. And I think we miss a whole opportunity of getting to know the whole person. And that's what I like when I interact with people, um, my thinking is this, is I I really don't care who you sleep with, I don't care who you be with or whatever, again, I started out this evening by saying this, I just want you to be safe. Make good choices because, make good choices because all of our choices have consequences, good, bad, or indifferent. So I don't care who you sleep with, just be wise. You know, wrap it up, don't get pregnant and then be sad because we telling you, no, you need to have that baby. (laughs) And then, um, you know, Dr. Jake, he's real quiet. I think we need to continue to use these platforms that we have to educate others. Continue to do that. Even when you don't feel like you're making a difference, just know that you are. Because I don't think that we've gotten to where we are in our careers or or our employment by accident. I know that. and just, you know, teach people. I, I tell people all the time if, if, if they want to hear it or not. Um, don't be ignorant about what comes out of your mouth. Because for me, um, I've been taught that ignorance means to um, ignore the truth. And so don't be ignorant in making, you know, judging people based on their sexuality or, or or how they live, how much money they make or whatever. Just don't be ignorant. Get to know the whole person. And then the last thing I want to say is thank you to Dr. Renaissance for inviting me and for having me. Did that freeze again?
0: No, you, no, yes, it's yes, a call. To I I hear you. To hear
4: you. Okay. So thank you for inviting me. Thank you for having me. Thank you, um, Dr. Bass, for the book recommendation. Um, Coach Brandon, the book is available that he mentioned on thriftbooks.com. I've oh, already ordered oh, cool. my copy. I was sitting here, um, and I do believe, um, I like quotes and, you know, the catchy phrases and stuff, but I do believe that knowledge is power. You you know what you know. Um, Some of us are, are book smart, some of us are street smart, and some of us got a mix of both. And I just think that it is a blessing for us to use these platforms to educate others. When you hear people make, um, you know, homophobic or other comments or whatever, you know, depending on the setting. But most times, um, case in point, uh, my son works with Jake in Midtown at a bar that's known as a gay bar. I will take anybody, any of my friends. I don't do disclaimers. Because if they from Atlanta, they already know. I don't do disclaimers because a lot of times I just want to see, you know, who's in my circle too. I just take them, hey, we're going by Monday job. Let's go hang out down here. Let's go, just go have a drink. Let's go grab something to eat because I just want to see just how people are and see, you know, how they feel about certain things or what have you. Because, you know, you're in my personal space, so, so I have a right. To know that. So when I take people to Midtown, you know, we have great conversations. I have met some of the most amazing people at the bar, just talking to them, them complimenting me about, like I said early on about them. Oh, you're here to support your son. Why wouldn't I? Like, you know, I just, it it, it has nothing to do with who he decides to be with as far as a, a partner. Or having sex or whatever. I don't even like, as a mom, I don't even want to think about my children having sex, but I know they do, but still, I don't want to talk (laughs) about that because there's so much more to both of my children. My son graduated from University of Georgia. He's smart. He's an English major. He's a smart kid. He can dance his ass off. It's more to him than who he decides to be with, you know, in a relationship. So, that's just my take on it. And I just thank you so much, Paul, Dr. Renaissance for inviting me. I'll come back anytime. Um, y'all please check me out. and go to Shameless Club. Again, I have a website, www.ArthurShundabrown.com. Y'all uh, go to the website. If you don't have my books, you can hit me up on Facebook, Arthur it Get one, get all three of them. The fourth book will be out in a month or so. And I just want it to be said when my curtain call comes that I made a difference, that I talked somebody off the ledge, that I made somebody smile, that I made somebody think differently. And that's that's it.
0: (laughs) Thank you for that. uh, Thank you for that sentiment, Ms. Brown. Um, Dr. Bass, do you want to give uh, your take on relationship as well as any closing remarks?
2: quick thing on relationship, you know, really, 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 really quickly. If you have low self-esteem or if your partner has (laughs) low self-esteem, avoid relationships at all costs because you will hurt yourself or you will hurt somebody else. Mm -hmm. As it pertains to the past, the past no longer exists. Mm -hmm. It only exists by what we tell ourselves. So if Mm -hmm. you don't like the story that you're constantly telling yourself about the past, change the story, change the narrative. Mm Mm-hmm. Everybody has similar issues in relationships, but as long mm-hmm. as you are honest, mm-hmm. as long as you are transparent, not just with your partner or other people who you may date, but yourself, if you can be honest and transparent with yourself <sighs> and put away the mask that we talked about earlier, Dr. Jake, we can actually see long lasting relationships. What I've learned is, is that people give up hope because they don't trust the other people they mm-hmm. trust that they are not safe with the other person. So mm-hmm. if you understand the difference between happiness and joy, this will be my last piece, then I think that you'll go far. The forefathers of this country talked about a concept called the pursuit of happiness. And in their writing, it really sort of shown this idea, i shown this idea that happiness is not constant. Happiness is something that continues to flee. Nobody can make you happy because happiness is based on happenings. So when happy things in our perception are good or things are good, then we say that we're happy. We attribute that title to when good things are happening in our world. What I want people to begin to understand is to shy away from the idea of happiness in relationships and really just center on that joy. You know, we have black girl joy, we have black boy joy, we have white boy joy, we have white girl joy, whatever type of joy you want to have. Joy is that thing that sits right inside of you that really doesn't depend on anybody else, right? Nobody can interfere or mess with your joy. So stop trying to be happy. Happiness is fleeting. In relationships, stop looking for a happy relationship because when your partner gets upset with you or you get upset with your partner, then you're no longer happy. And that's why we run away from relationships when they don't feel like the butterflies that all relationships start with. So look for that joy in yourself first, and then look for that joy in someone else and just be in each other's presence. That's it.
0: Awesome. Some remarks that y'all wanna let you go. you're one of our guests yeah. right now.
1: Um, thank you, Miss Brown and, and, and Dr. Bass uh, for your remarks. Um, I think I've, I've learned a great deal. I've been taking notes on a lot of different things, and many of which I would like to you know, continue to add to um, what I want to bring to the classes and how I would like to benefit whoever decides to to walk through those doors and and hand me their time. Um, and as far as the word relationship, I guess I'll give a different perspective. Um, I believe that anyone who who I, I trained especially on in one-on-one sessions, I challenge the relationship to to self. And um, I, I I do try to listen very intently on how people talk about themselves um, because we are in relationship with ourselves. Um, whether, whether we're looking in the mirror or we're just uh looking in retrospect for from the past, the present, or or how we're projecting ourselves to the future. I do interrogate those things that I feel may inherently just be negative and and um and destructive to a person's uh, level of self-esteem. And so um I believe that that trust that we that we don't have in letting others in is really the key to to stepping outside of yourself and maybe adopting a different perspective or something a little more helpful uh to you than pride or you know what you feel like you can figure out by yourself. So there's, I, I've learned how to be a, bit, a better version of myself through other people, um, and that's because I don't have all the answers for myself, and God just didn't design me that way. Um, and that's why we need each other. So I do believe that we're all part of one body, though we believe, we, we look and feel and have you know, cultural differences. Um, I do believe that lots of barriers are, are, are psychological Lots of barriers are psychological, and we can we can overcome those together, so that's my teaching model and again, I'm, I'm very grateful for all, for all of you for what you've shared and and hopefully somebody's going to come to the my next class and and feel better than than they did yesterday.
3: Yeah, thank you, uh, Miss Brown and Dr. Bass so much for being here today. I would just briefly add that um, there's a famous psychoanalyst, psychologist Carl Jung. I don't know if anybody's heard of him. Uh, Carl Jung, he had a, a saying that, um, you know, that which you don't like about somebody else is actually something that you don't like about yourself. Mm. Yeah, and that's it's called projection. So, I, you know, I think in, if, we, if we rephrase that in terms of love, when you're loving somebody else, you're really loving yourself in the process. And so I would, um, you know, bring that lesson. I try and bring that lesson into my relationships, and I think that, you know, we all can, you know, work harder at at doing that. Well, again, I'd like to uh, thank you all again for,
0: I'm sorry, thank you all again for uh, tuning in and actually, you know, being part of this conversation. I am definitely am grateful and appreciative of everyone um, for being I know you guys could have been doing other things, you know, but you decided to you know, tune in today. Um, definitely coach Brandon. Thank you again for hopping on. Um, as I want to say, he's, is a great boxing uh, coach. I've actually met him through someone else. Uh, Christian, I can say Christian, you know, we, we give him yeah. a shout out. Yeah. He's an amazing coaches, uh, boxing coach as well. He introduced me to him and took a class and like about a week ago. And like, and then we, it's like, you thought we met each other a long time ago. right. So, right. Uh, mm-hmm. So I definitely appreciate it. And I would definitely encourage everyone to definitely take his class, take his class at psych mode. Um, Coach Brandon, was it Motivation by Brandon on Instagram?
1: Uh, The underscore motivational underscore boxer. Yes.
0: And also, I want to leave with a book entitled The Unapologetic Unapologetic Guide to Black Mental Health. It's written by Dr. Rita Walker. She's a psychology professor at the University of Houston. I hope you can see this. Um, Very great book, insightful book, you know, to um, overcome a lot of mental health, uh, depression, and things that – We occur in in our black and brown um, poor communities. So other than that, um, I'm definitely grateful. Thank you for hopping on again. Thank Um, you again, Dr. Renaissance. This wraps up our seventh uh, episode of Point of View Uncensored. I know I wanted wanted to discuss uh, STDs and sexual transmitted diseases, but we can talk about that at a a different um, episode. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, again, thank you. Um, I'm Dr. Renaissance. I'm Dr. Jake. And we're signing off um, on the seventh episode of Point of View Uncensored. Thank you. Peace out. Have a blessed evening.